Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply that proves that award season is a year-round conversation. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with Vanity Fair's film critic Richard Lawson. Hello. And Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. Hello, Katie. So for this episode, just as a programming note, uh, Joanna and I are both on Skype while Richard is in studio, and I have to leave halfway through, so it's a fun uh, choose-your-own-adventure kind of podcast. (laughs) So Joanna... We have a lot of random kind of unrelated things to kick off, so I'm not going to try to like string a thread here. But I wanted to start by talking to you about South by Southwest. You're home now from South by? Yeah, literally just got off the flight in the wee hours of this morning. <gasps> and I am home and back and missing Austin already. What's, what's interesting, though, is, well, maybe not to a lot of people, but a lot of film critics are stranded in Austin right now. Yeah. Fly back to the East Coast. So a lot of them are just struggling to find hotels or couches to crash on as they're stuck in Austin. But they're worse places to be stuck because then they can just sort of, you know, eat more tacos and go to more movies, I guess. So, uh, don't so. they get to stick around for the music part and go see some hip bands? Uh, depends on your badge, to be honest. But <laughs> it, always, uh, <laughs> it always does. <laughs> but um, I, I've always sort of wanted to stay the full week at South by. It seems ridiculous, but there's just so many movies you can't physically get to that don't do repeat viewings until much later in the week. So those film critics, in theory, could see a lot of things that were lower on their priority list, maybe. So usually the idea of talking about South by in an Oscar podcast would be kind of ridiculous because, you know, it kind of deliberately comes right after award season's over. It's a home for smaller movies or weirder movies or stuff that you're not usually going to be discussing on a podcast like this. But one of the trades really got ahead of us and started the Oscar buzz for James Franco out of South by, which is crazy to me. And Joanna, I know you didn't see the disaster artist, but what's your perspective on the ground of uh, of this Tommy Wiseau biopic and whether or not this Oscar buzz thing is actually legit? Well, it's so crazy to me because, first of all, this is what they call a work-in-progress film, which means it's not finished yet. I mean, I saw Trainwreck, a work-in-progress, and Sausage Party, a work-in-progress, both at South By. Trainwreck was pretty much done. Sausage Party was very far from done. So a work-in-progress could mean anything. But it feels so early to do Oscar buzz. The reaction I got from non-critics who saw the film I talked to about, I don't know, I'd say about 20 people, was not, you know, they were they were like, it was fine. I'm not sure who this movie is for, but it's <laughs> fine. I liked it. So I, I don't know that it is going to sustain that sort of in-the-moment, enthusiastic, festival fever reaction that it got during its very late-night debut at South by in Austin. It does feel kind of like critics have the reflex of Oscar buzz that they can't quite shake after the season is over, and they come to South by, and it's like, I don't know, something. And eventually you just have to <laughs> well, say, yeah, you I, know what? It's okay for it not to have Oscar buzz. Trainwreck didn't get nominated for screenplay or anything, did it? I don't think but so. I think, I think, I think it think could have. Was, yeah, I think there was some talk about, like, oh, Trainwreck screenplay or something like that. I think there are a lot of, like, screenplay question marks that, that come on South by, but as you pointed out, it's a festival that really embraces sort of the weird and the fringe. Mike was down there and he was talking about it. I think he described it as like upper class B movies. And I think that's yeah. true. <laughs> um, they're upper class B movies. So they rarely sort of make their way into the picks. Well, to talk about something you did see and what I, I feel like could be described as an upper class B movie is Free Fire, the movie that uh, had the stars paintballing, for one thing. And it's from Ben Wheatley, who has made upper class B movies before, like High Rise and Kill Us. How does that fit into that description? 
oh god yes uh, it's per- it's a perfect upper class B movie. Yeah, uh, this is like a locked room shoot 'em up with Oscar winner Brie Larson, Killian Murphy, Army Hammer, Charlotte Copley, Sam Riley, Jack Rayner, Noah Taylor, and other people that I'm forgetting. It's about ten people locked in a room set in the '70s in Boston, and it's a gun deal gone awry, and then they just shoot at each other for the next hour and a half, basically. <laughs> and that sounds like maybe not great, but it is fantastic. There's a lot of great quips and weird dynamics going on and people shouting at each other from behind barricades. Army Hammer is fantastic. This is something a bunch of us were talking about in Austin. Army Hammer has a lot of buzz coming out of Sundance because of All By Your Name, which was like the biggest, you know, Sundance film, it seems like. And Army Hammer is one of the stars of that. And uh, he's so great in Freefall. He's got this really handsome beard and he's doing what I described as sort of the John Hamm thing where he you look at him, you're like, you're too handsome to be as funny as you are in this movie, but you're yeah. so so funny. Which is and, something I thought when I, when I saw Man from Uncle too, like which I know <laughs> uh, I think you were a fan of, and like not nearly enough people saw. Definitely was. He was hampered a little bit by that Russian accent, I think, in Man from Uncle, but he was so charming in that, and he is hilarious and a great sort of action figure in this. So we were talking about like, is this actually finally Army Hammer's year? <laughs> Whereas, yeah. I feel like we've had this is Army Sammer's year with Lone Ranger and with Man from Uncle and it never quite panned out and that Snow White he did and now it's like, no, but the, with these two movies, because I really do think Free Fire though I don't think it's going to be a big movie by any stretch of the imagination, it's from A24, I think it's going to have like a nice really strong cult following this is going to be one of those movies that people watch over and over again at home. Richard, are you here for the Army Hammer year of Renaissance or whatever? Oh, yeah. No, it's going to happen. I mean, I think between Free Fire, uh, which was at Toronto and people were into it there, and Call Me By Your Name, which is coming out now in November. I originally said on this podcast that it was early fall. I was wrong. It's now Mm. November, which I think augurs more sort of Oscar-y futures for it. Um, Yeah, and Army Hammer is, you know, great in both. So The other... Sorry, Am I right to think of Free Fire in the context of so A24 distributed Green Room last year, which was another kind of action-heavy genre movie that critics really liked? Do you think it'll make a more of an impact than Green Room did? I do only because it's lighter. Like, it's, mm. it's, the tone is balanced. I think Green Room... Green Room was, did it premiere before Anton Yelchin died? Yeah. Okay. But, you know, it's very dark, very, very violent. And Free Fire, you see the violence of the gunshots, like, on these people, but it's it's got a lighter touch. It's not quite like Tarantino or anything like that. Would you say that's right, Richard, that it just has, is lighter in tone? Yeah, I mean, I think people who who saw High Rise, um, Ben Wheatley's other film recently, that tone is kind of arch and satirical, and I think Free Fire kind of advances on that. You know, it's a sort of silly movie about silly gun movies. You know, like you know, it's a little meta. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. It never gets as weird as High Rise gets. No, but, no, no, no. It doesn't. Yeah. I think it's. I think it's lighter than High Rise is. Yeah. Can I talk about one more? What I think is a legit Oscar hopeful out of South by Southwest. Please. Of course, that's what we're here for. <laughs> No, Joanna, no Oscar talk on this podcast. No Oscar <laughs> talk on this podcast. No. Um, I saw Lou, which is the Pixar animated short that's going to be in front of, I believe, Coco, which comes out in November. And it is so charming. And as we know, Piper won the animated short Oscar. And the, those are those categories that are always kind of hard to predict on your ballot. Unless but you're Mike Hogan and you went for three for three this year. <laughs> but Piper was the first Oscar win for Pixar since uh, like the birds, I think like really early on. So it's not like Pixar is a surefire winner in the 
this category, but Lou is very charming. It's about school kids and bullying, but like not in a heavy handed way. And I think it has real, real potential. It's, so it, it's about Lou Diamond Phillips. Is that right? Absolutely. It's about right. the making of La Bamba. So there <laughs> Pixar really just expanding their, their purview. I think, I think it's great. <laughs> Absolutely. So Joanna, other than Oscar buzz, is there anything else in the South by that we just should see that's fun? Guys, I didn't know this until Katie told me that I was an outlier in this opinion because everyone I saw this movie with loved it, but Atomic Blonde is amazing, I think. Maybe that was the sleep deprivation talking, but this is a film starring Shirley's Theron. It's a spy film. It's a Cold War film. It's based on a comic book, and it's just like Shirley's doing... You know, it's from David Leach, who did John Wick, one of the co-directors of the original John Wick. And he hopped off John Wick 2, the sequel, in order to make Atomic Blonde, with Charlize basically in a John Wick-ish role. She and Keanu actually trained at the same time and sparred together when he was training for John Wick 2 and she was training for Atomic Blonde. Do they just drop uh, that nugget so that we all hope for a crossover? Because that seems like what they're building up here. Well, it would involve some time travel to get John Wick into the, the John Wick cinematic universe. Is this a thing <laughs> that could actually happen? But when I was watching, and I definitely thought John Wick, I could see John Wick easily in this world. So if he if he finds a time machine, like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure Time Machine, yeah, travels making a Bill and Ted crossover while you're at it. You just keep it going. I mean, it's the long awaited Bill and Ted three that that we've all been waiting for. But anyway, Charlie's. I mean. We already knew she could do a lot of this because we saw Mad Max Fury Road, but she does it in stilettos and in like bombed out buildings in Berlin. And it's just visually completely stunning. And for those criticizing the movie for not having a coherent plot, I really cannot disagree with them. But (laughs) if you're just sort of like, it doesn't, the plot doesn't matter. And I'm just here for whatever bend of the road gets me to Charlize kicking someone else again soon. Then atomic blonde is a really satisfying ride. That sounds great. Yeah. I'm into it already. James McAvoy plays like a dirtbag, and I love what James McAvoy is a dirtbag. So like a Euro trashy fur collar and a leather coat dirtbag. So yeah, sign me up. Speaking of people who like, we keep saying it's going to be their year. I feel like the year of James McAvoy keeps threatening to arrive and he just Mm. like, just keeps doing great performances. So I don't know, maybe he doesn't need it, but I'm here for it. Same. And Joanne, I have to ask you, this is not movie related, but all this griping on Twitter from, you know, sort of tech bros. How is the situation with not having Uber and Lyft in Austin? I'm curious. Did you have all this grave trouble getting around or was it actually pretty manageable? Oh, that's so funny. I had a rental car this year. Oh, so okay. very, very But I ended up giving a lot of people rides. <laughs> um, <laughs> you de facto became Lyft. Yeah, they yeah. started calling me Joanna. I mean, that's my name, but also they like branded the ride service Joanna. But <laughs> there's a few actually homegrown ride share services in Austin that I heard good things about. One called Fair, another called Fasten. And also Mazda was doing a promotion downtown where like if you got a little barcode bracelet, you could basically hail a Mazda to take you sure. around. Yeah. Sure. Zoom, zoom. You know, and there was... <laughs> And there were shuttles. I mean, I yeah. don't know. If you are a tech bro and you have a lot of like offsite events to get to, I could see how it would be. I mean, it was being written about like it was the apocalypse. But, but, but uh, no. <laughs> you know, but it does seem like the, you know, the film festival aspect of South by Southwest has been growing year after year. I mean, to me, from from an outside perspective, it, it felt pretty big this year. Would you agree, Joanna? Or 
Um, big, big in what sense? Like numbers wise, well, or just like the, the, there were a lot of big titles, and you it was know, worth attention. Even yeah, those a lot of premieres. You know, yeah, I think they had one of the best slates that yeah. they've had in a long time. Yeah. Certainly with Edgar Rice, Baby Driver in there as well. Oh yeah, Baby um, Driver. We didn't even talk about that. Yeah, Baby Driver was. I mean. It was so charming to see Edgar Wright very much in his element. I mean, if you want to talk about, you know, high class B movie, like I think that's Edgar Wright's wheelhouse as well. So Baby Driver, which is John Hamm, Ansel Elgore, Jamie Foxx, Kevin Spacey, Lily James. And it's very, very high concept movie that Edgar Wright has been wanting to make for years, which I tried to sell Kitty on the idea of action musical, which is like every Mm. single action scene is set meticulously set to a song so that the like and for the record i am sold that it sounds great to me and like the gunfire is on the beat of the songs and the, and the car door slamming and the tires squealing and all of that is to the beat of the song the plot is very facile it's like a young getaway driver wants to get out and gets pulled in for one last job that goes wrong like atomic blonde the plot is not really the point it's the stylish action and I, I might agree with you, Richard. I, I think it, it is just that those the the main slate is starrier and bigger than it has been in the past. But in terms of like boots on the ground or the sense of occasion in the town, it didn't feel demonstrably different to me. Because I know they're really trying to position themselves now as, you know, it used to be Sundance, Berlin, Cannes, and they really want there to be South by Southwest really much in the landscape of that kind of film festival yearly thinking. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I just I would never think that it would fit into that just because it's not in the they're not in the business of doing Oscar hopeful type programming. Like right. even though their slate was so interesting this year, like disaster artists, I mean maybe disaster artists will be in the Oscar race. The Who people knows? are talking but about like, it, so but like yeah. a, Tommy Blonde and Baby Driver, you know, these are these are fun. They're always going to do fun, kind of mm. weird movies. And if some of those movies end up in the Oscar race, that sort of feels by accident almost. And they're having so much success with stunts for TV shows. Like you wrote about Joanna, how there's been so many like interactive experiences at South by this year. And they, uh, there's well, like a Game of Thrones thing and a Better Call Saul thing. And that really seems to be working for them. That's the crazy thing about South by. And, you know, I was talking to people who go to a bunch of different film festivals and the advantage that South by has over like Sundance where it's cold and you're basically shuttled from place to place and you hardly go to main street where that's where all the sort of interactive stuff is happening or something like Toronto, which happens in a very large city and you're kind of like everything gets swallowed up by the city itself. Right. Or, or even comic, actually even Comic-Con where you're inside the convention center most of the time. With Austin, it's such a flat, sunny, beautiful, walkable city. And all their, most of their venues are right downtown. So you're just walking around downtown. And the city always seems to be half under construction. And so these various companies take the opportunity of these empty lots to just sort of like erect these things like a Game of Thrones escape room or a Los Pollos Hermanos restaurant pop-up shop. And it's all branded to TV shows, to films. I think it's because you have that plus the fact that this festival is an integration of the interactive, which is the tech marketing branding festival and the film festival happening at the same time. It's like this synergy of advertising and interactive experiences. It's crazy. I encourage everyone to go it's a beautiful wonderland of films <laughs> and VR experiences. And middle-aged men bitching about not getting a ride home to their hotel, which is probably 10 minutes away. I guess so. <laughs> 
Okay, so I have to leave, but I'm going to leave it to Joanna and Richard to uh, talk to each other about a bunch of movies that are exciting and are out now that I haven't seen. So take it away, guys. So Joanna, we tend to think of this time of year as being a little fallow for movies because we're post-Oscars and we're not quite in the summer movie season yet. But actually this year, there's been some really good stuff. I think Get Out is a movie we both saw that's doing really well, right? Absolutely. I mean, it feels so early to talk about Oscar buzz, but people are talking about Oscar buzz for Get Out. It's never too early, Joanne. <laughs> it's never too early. We're always talking about Oscar buzz. But yes, Get Out is this huge success story for Jordan Peele, uh, formerly of Key and Peele. And it crossed, I believe, the 100 million mark at the yep. box office this weekend. A lot of people were really excited about what this meant for being able to push back on studios saying, you know, you had to have a, a white lead or, or a white director in order for a film to do well, that this could open the door for different kinds of programming. And best of all, it's a relevant movie. It's an interesting movie to talk about, but it's also just a fun movie. And it's always nice when the filmgoers in general can just agree that, hey, like we had a great time at the movies this weekend. What do you think, Richard? Yeah, I think it's so cool that there's this intersection of box office success and critical success and, you know, and 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 relevance. And I mean, Get Out really just feels like the whole package in that way. And, you know, it's rare that a movie that in a way deserves to do as well as it has does, you know? Right. So, and I think that it's a good, you know, between that and Hidden Figures and Moonlight winning Best Picture, like hopefully... This is going to turn the cruise ship of Hollywood a little bit more toward making more movies that appeal to, you know, broader demographic or a more specific demographic, depending on how you want to kind of frame it. But I think it's exciting. I think awards wise, I don't know. I mean, I think that there could be some dark horse campaign for that screenplay. I think you had mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it would be a long shot. But, you know, I think it has merit and um, hopefully its merit will be recognized in, in some fashion beyond the already great, you know, glowing reviews and, and box office. I always like it when a comedy, like at least one comedy script makes it into the yeah. screenplay mm-hmm. category because it's just so often overlooked. But it is obviously not easy to make a good comedy based on all the terrible comedies we see. So mm-hmm. And a horror script, too. You know, like how exactly, often does a horror script yeah. get in? And this is both. And between the box office success of Get Out and Split, I think people are looking at this year as a really yeah. interesting year for horror. So so it's all really, really uh, fascinating. Like, but ma- mainstream studio horror, which is interesting. I mean, not that Get Out is mainstream, but like, you know what I mean? But it's a studio film. Like, I, I don't know, it's not like some Bloomhouse kind of, you know, it's not like outsider, you know. Yeah. It's, it's in the system, which is interesting. Uh, before we go on, we wanted to talk about Tripod, hashtag T-R-Y-P-O-D, which is a month-long initiative among the podcasting community, which, Joanna, you and I are part of. You've been part of it longer than I have. We are podcasting moguls. <laughs> where we're just kind of trying to spread the love. So beyond uh, ourselves, obviously, which we listen to religiously over and over again. <laughs> Every night before I go to sleep, I listen to myself. And you're you're on a bunch of other podcasts, too. But what do you listen to when you're not making podcasts? I have a lot of favorites. You know, I just flew to Austin and back, and I love listening to podcasts on the plane, honestly. And so what I found myself listening to was uh, You Must Remember This by Karina Longworth, which is a favorite podcast of mine. But I went back and re-listened to the series she did last August called Six Degrees of Joan Crawford to sort of bone up on my feud knowledge. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Karina does these great deep dives into figures and scandals and intrigue and what have you of the golden era of Hollywood. And she traced Joan Crawford's career from when she landed in Hollywood up through Mommy Dearest and sort of pegging her to these various figures in Hollywood. 
episode. So it's just enormously educational and also really compelling radio because Karina just has this great delivery. So that's what I listened to this last week. How about you, Richard? Well, I listen to probably too many podcasts, if that's possible. Um, <laughs> but I, I listen to our sister podcast, In the Limelight, with Julie Miller and Josh Duboff, which was great. In a similar vein, I love Who Weekly. Friends of mine named Bobby Finger and Lindsay Weber do a kind of obscure C-list celebrity news roundup. They do actually two episodes a week now. That's a really fun, high-spirited show. And then a show that you and I both, Joanna, have been guests on, you more recently than me, Blank Check with Griffin Newman and David Sims is a really deep dive movie podcast that spends about two hours each episode on a single movie. They're doing the films of Steven Spielberg right now. Yeah, the DreamWorks era, Steven Spielberg. They do a little mini series. I'm on the Minority Report mm-hmm. episode. Which episode did you do, Richard? Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private yeah. Ryan. So if you want to hear more of us, yes, <laughs> go over to this other podcast, which I know you do. Go over this podcast. Um, so anyway, those are some of the podcasts we like. We are encouraging you to share what podcasts you like. Just be sure to use the hashtag tripod. That's hashtag T-R-Y-P-O-D to spread the wealth and make podcasts take over the world as they're destined to. And now back to our conversation. I wanted to ask you, I'm really curious about a film that is maybe a, a more natural fit for Oscar talk, mm. which is Kristen Stewart's star turn and personal shopper. What can you tell me yeah. about that, Richard? Well, um, I guess you could classify that as a horror movie as well. Um, it, has oh. some scary, <laughs> it has some scary parts in it. Okay. Um, yeah, this is a movie that Olivia Assayas directed. He directed Kristen Stewart all the way to a Cesar award win, first American actress to win that um, in Clouds of Sils Maria. Uh, last year two years ago so yeah this movie premiered at Cannes last year and i gave it a kind of gushing rave out of there and it's finally out in the united states it's a ghost story kristen stewart plays a well a personal shopper in paris but sort of going back and forth between london and paris and she's mourning her twin brother who died and trying to kind of connect with him she's a spiritual medium so there's ghostly stuff there but then there's also this kind of murder mystery happening and it's a really odd film but it's so good i think it has a lot to say actually I had a question for you about Kristen Stewart because mm-hmm. I saw a headline that uh, actually quite bothered me, which was um, it was like after escaping from Twilight, Kristen Stewart finally finds a project worthy for her and personal shopper. Hmm. And it, that just really stunned me when we have films like The Clouds of Sils Maria or Still Alice or all this other stuff that Kristen Stewart has been doing the past few years. And I feel like I'm worried that she's never going to escape the framing narrative of like, well, finally escaping Twilight. You know, it's been long. She's done so much and such great work. She has. Um, And and so I was surprised by that. It feels almost to me like she's being punished for having done Twilight and, and people continue to express surprise. And I'm wondering how many personal shoppers, how many Clouds of Sils Maria it will take for people to take her, just accept her as a serious great actor. Well, I mean, it's a great question because, I mean, I feel like, people still mention Gidget when they talk about fucking Sally Field. Like, That's you know. so true. <laughs> and the flying nun. Yeah, yeah. like it's really yeah. hard, especially for women, to get away from that stuff. But the thing about the Twilight movies and Kristen Stewart's kind of career in, in a longer view is like the Twilight movies did something great, which was, well, introduce us or introduce the larger public to this actress who's proven very interesting and has great taste, but it made her financially secure enough. I mean, she's super rich from those movies that she can do whatever she wants. So she can do oddball French art house cinema and do something really cool with it because she doesn't need to worry. I mean, I presumably about, you know, paying her mortgage or whatever. 
So I think the Twilight movies, which aren't all bad, a you know they the last two especially are actually kind of interesting. But well, B, I like that last one. I'll give you the last. The, one. Okay, the last one is yeah is, is great because <laughs> they actually like have stakes and like and things are interesting. Um, not <laughs> stakes like vampire stakes, like stakes like dramatic stakes. <laughs> um, there are no vampire stakes that, that I can recall. Um, but I had a B in there somewhere, but I forget. But but uh, yeah, I think that Kristen Stewart like has proven herself uh, of late to have a really interesting taste interesting directors want to work with her i don't know yet that she as an actress is you know that twitter thing about does she have the range (laughs) that's about singers but like kristen stewart doesn't have a ton of range in her acting but what she can do in the little sort of sphere that she occupies is really cool i think that's right and i think personal shopper is probably the best showcase for that so far oh that's so exciting because yeah. i love clouds of sales maria and i mm, loved her mm-hmm, in still alice like mm-hmm. i actually thought she was the best part of still alice sorry julianne moore so yeah, um that, sorry alec baldwin you mean sorry alec baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> so um i'm really excited to see personal shopper where when does it it's doing like a slow release you know it's in, uh-huh. it's in new york and la right now i believe and, and then kind of going wider and you know i should caveat to anyone listening that this movie is really odd and narratively disjointed and um it doesn't make a ton of sense while you're watching it and i think the interesting thing about uh certainly reading reviews and writing my own is people trying to sort of synthesize all of this noise and information and visual stuff into what they think it's about and i think that that is sort of what the film exists as it's kind of like a rorschach test kind of thing so yeah i would just warn people who are going to go out and spend a bunch of money to go see it in the theater that it's not like a sort of linear straightforward film at all but i think it, it's really rewarding if you if you open your mind to it <laughs> speaking of opening our minds um I'm i want to talk about another deep cut art house film um, yes. that's out this week a real, a real fringe one uh-huh right? Yeah. It's a film about a lonely, hairy bachelor living alone in France. Yes. And uh, he meets a young girl. Beauty and the Beast. Yay, it's out, a finally. Bookish, a bookish young woman. A bookish, okay, yeah. a bookish nerd. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, this movie's coming Manic out. Manic pixie nerd girl. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Speaking of the Twilight movies, Bill Condon, uh, who directed the last yes. Twilight movie, I believe, has taken the reins on this one. It's another in Disney's, oh, hey, CGI effects can now do what only animated films could do Twenty plus years ago so let's make live action versions of old animated titles but can they is my question uh, i don't know i just have some quibbles with this particular beast i i, I i'm all on board with like the jungle book i think that looked amazing but yeah. uh i'm not sure the beast quite there you me. have seen the film right i have seen the film yes okay so so what did you think because i think it's um i, I think it's actually perfectly fine uh, i was intending to resent it and you know accusative stomping in my childhood but i don't and in the same way that i actually really oddly loved kenneth Branagh's cinderella two years ago did you feel the same or did you not like it i didn't like it but i did feel that same way about cinderella mm-hmm. that that reaction you had to cinderella I had the same one where i went in resentful and came out going oh so it's not just my my blackened heart at play here but you know there's a great line in the original animated beauty and the beast where Cogsworth the clock says, if it ain't Baroque, don't fix it. And I mm. feel like they stuff a lot of extra plot in here, like a trip to Paris. Like there's just some yeah, that weird, part's weird. Yeah. extra stuff. And, and and it makes the running time long, actually. It's that I well don't... over two hours, which is insane. Yeah. That I don't think this story needed. You know, I appreciate them wanting to put a little top spin on the story. So they're like, tale as old as time, but it's a little different this time because we need 
you know, to change it a little, but there just seemed to be a lot of extra padding that, um, you know, and all, all, all this extra stuff with Kevin Klein's Maurice character and the enchantress and all that just seemed, just seemed to me like unnecessary padding. Yeah. And I also didn't really enjoy any of the extra music that they put in. Mm. I think it really jarred with the like fantastic music from Howard Ashman and Alan Menken. Yeah. Those extra songs are, are, are not, I don't know what they're doing yeah. there. I, exactly. I, I I respect the fact that Bill Condon wanted to make a more kind of full-throated, full-bodied you know, movie musical. Um, yeah. But like just tacking on a weird beast song at the 11th hour that everyone's just like looking at their watches through it. That's not, <laughs> that's not the way to do it. That being said, that weird beast song that was tacked on, I was really surprised that Dan Stevens who of Downton Abbey and Legion fame, who plays the beast, yeah. I did not know he could sing. And I think he does a really good job in that song actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's not true of every single person in the cast. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought Dan Stevens was great throughout. I thought Luke Evans as Gaston was great. Throughout. He's terrific. He's a real theater actor who, who pulls it off. Yeah. Exactly. And I thought Josh Gad, who's also a theater actor, was pretty great in his role. I didn't love, I didn't latch on to Emma Watson in this role. So what what did you think of Emma? Um, I liked her on screen. I think it was, you know, it's, it was her first big lead role, right, in a film. Bling Ring maybe counts or Colonia or some smaller independent movies. But, you know, this is a huge budget kind of thing. And I think I think she held oh. held the center well. You know, I don't. I don't know. There was some weird disparity in terms of age difference between her and Luke Evans and Dan Stevens that was a little bit, eh. but, um, but no, I thought she should. Well, I, I didn't have any problems with the performances in the movie. And I want to do stress that Luke Evans is great in it. I think he's yeah, the best thing about it. it really is. Um, yep, and, I agree. and I think, and this is no necessarily knock on Emma, Emma Watson or anybody else, but Luke Evans proves that if you want to do these things, right hire people who know how to do it, like who are trained in it. Like Luke Evans is from the West End. That's where he got his start doing theater. I think he did Taboo in the West End years ago. Yeah, and he did a Rent revival. Oh my God. I would, I mean, yeah, I would you pay could, You could listen to Luke Evans sing One Song Glory I, online if you want to. <laughs> I want Beast's time travel thing, whatever that was. And go. That's what I'm going to go back to. Um, <laughs> yeah, and see Luke Evans in Rent. Um, but you know, he's, he's a great example of like, oh, okay. He's singing live. Like you can tell there's no, you know, manipulation or whatever of his voice. I I, I don't know. So I think he's great in it. I think everyone's good in it. And I think the movie's fine. I think that it's big task was proving the reason for its existence. And I don't know if it fully gets there. You right, know. other than like us getting excited about Luke Evans maybe being in other better movie musicals in well, the look, future. Let's be honest, it doesn't uh, take a lot to get me excited about Luke Evans. So. <laughs> I mean, I think you and I love musicals more than mm, yeah. most people, yes. probably. And so like it matters to us when someone can actually sing the part. Mm. And when Luke Evans was cast, I, got, I went down this sort of rabbit hole of his YouTube videos and you can see him singing like old Tom Jones songs in concert. He will mm-hmm. sing on any talk show they ever invite him on. And he'll sing. He loves to sing. Pardon the, the expression, but he's a show queen. I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, when you have someone like Luke Evans, or I would say like a Hugh Jackman too, yeah. you know, like someone like that, who just is so assured in their own physicality and in their voice and in their performance and knows how to embody a song and not make it look stiff and weird. And I think with someone like Emma Watson, 
she does do a pretty good job, but I think someone like Emma Watson or Russell Crowe and Les Miserables. Like, or Emma Stone. <laughs> yeah, there's like a timidity uh-huh. of like yeah. this, my wheelhouse. And so e- as much as you can lay the autotune over what they sing, there's just a hesitation in their performance at all that takes me out of it. Yeah. Whereas Gad, you know, Josh Gad and Luke Evans, it's just like, yeah, oh, just here's some it. pros. You know, just doing doing what they do. Uh, In college, I was a theater major and a professor sort of made this distinction between a musical and a play with music. Yes. You know, so you can kind of extrapolate from there about like a, a singer and then an actor who can sing. You know, and I feel like Emma Stone, Ryan Gosling, Emma Watson, like these are actors who can sing, but they're not singers, you know. And and I think that to do the full-bodied musical that Bill Condon wanted to do, it would have behooved him to have the real singers, you know. Um, yeah. and, and, and that's hard to find. I mean, you know, Hugh Jackman can do it. Luke Evans can do it. And those are not even like two huge enough names. You know, there are very few, even like Catherine Zeta-Jones in Chicago or Renee Zellweger in Chicago or Nicole Kidman in Moulin Rouge. Like that was all again, actors who could carry a tune. I will say I saw Jake Gyllenhaal is doing Sunday in the Park with George on Broadway right now. <gasps> yes. And I saw that and barring a couple of somewhat dicey notes in the second act, cause I think his voice was tired. That guy's got it. I mean, he can. Actually, that is a hard musical thing, and he too. can actually do it, which is, you know, I never really fully got it with Jake Gyllenhaal, but after that, I was like, oh boy, I, I get it. So, Richard, you and I are going to write a musical uh-huh. for Luke Evans and Jake Gyllenhaal and Hugh Jackman, some sort of like oh, handsome, boy. oh god, <laughs> brunette, yeah, uh-huh. barrel-chested leading men, sort of singing. Or we'll just have them all in a best little whorehouse in Texas revival that's just gender flipped. Um. Oh my god. Yeah. I want How about it that? immediately. Scott Rudin. <laughs> I'm ready for it. Wait, who should play Burt Reynolds? Is it like Anna Kendrick? Oh, no. Oh, boy. Um, who can sing? Uh, Rihanna. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay. Um, Sorry, you're getting back up. Back to Beauty and the Beast. You know, Oscar-wise, if we're talking about awards, I guess the only real parallel would be that Cinderella got a costume design nomination. This does not have the exquisite you know, blue dress that that movie had. But do you see any any of its technicals standing out to you? Like I said, I had issues with the beast. Like it wasn't so much the the mocap on his face because I thought that was pretty good, and I thought Dan Stevens was actually able to get some of his expression yeah, through, I which I thought was impressive. But when you pull to the wide shot and you see him sort of awkwardly ambling around on those beast legs, like yeah. it just didn't look right to me. He also was, like, too attractive. That sounds weird. But, like, he didn't look... It was like, oh, he's, like, a weird, beautiful animal thing. He wasn't grotesque. Right. Where is he supposed to be? Yeah, he didn't have, like... In, well, I don't remember his teeth. Anyway, uh, yes, you're you're right. Dan Stevens is just too handsome is the yeah, problem. Yeah. I don't think it's going to get any kind of costume award. Maybe there's some sort of digital effects thing that i'm not seeing that will impress the people who actually do digital effects right um what about the new songs i i, no. d- uh, I would be surprised uh, like how could it not get nominated? well because original song is so hard these days because so few films well because they change the rules about when it has to play and you know so very few films actually have it's not like the old days when celine dion would just you know you'd slap her on the end credits and and there you went. Is there a musical coming up that I don't know about that's going to get like uh, Hugh Jackman's circus musical? Yes, it's Hugh Jackman's circus musical. Is that out this year? Christmas Day, baby. Oh, Christmas Day, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, great show. I'm not. I haven't been planning for this at all. I'm. I'm not. <laughs> I haven't been like checking the IMDb. I, and I'm <laughs> not even that. I'm so invested in uh, P.T. Barnum musical, but like just the phrase Hugh Jackman's circus musical is just yes. really great. 
But these other ones that are in the works, like Annette, Annette and all these other things, those yeah. are going to come out in 2018, right? Um, yeah, I think so. So I don't think, you know, I don't think it's going to be a terribly crowded category, so I don't see how it couldn't get in. And if that means we're going to see Dan Stevens singing that kind of awful beast song at the Oscars, yeah. I'm here for it. Yeah. Oh, I should it. mention about Greatest Showman. I'm just now looking back at the IMDb page. Yes. Bill Condon is a credited writer on, on the screenplay. Okay. And the composers are recent Oscar winners, Benj Pasek and Justin Paul. Oh, it's Pasek and Paul. Uh, it's Pasek and Paul, who oh. were, you know, just won Oscar okay, for La La Land. Actually, Hugh Jackman will be singing three songs from mm-hmm. his circus musical mm-hmm. at the Oscars next year. And Pasek and Paul are about to win a bunch of Tonys, probably, for Dear Evan Hansen. Oh, for so, Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah. yeah um, that's, but that's the thing about, it goes back to exactly what we were talking about, La La Land versus this stuff is like, if Hugh Jackman's circus musical does get nominated for multiple songs, Hugh Jackman is going to be up on that Oscar stage mm-hmm. singing the songs versus Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, who right. are like, take it, John Legend. Yeah. No, no, thank you. Yeah. Amy Adams tried it with Enchanted, and that was very brave of her, and I think she did well. But again, Amy yeah. Adams is an actress who can sing. She's not a singer. Who can carry a tune. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So other than original song, I... I guess it just depends how the year shakes out. I guess I'm being too timid and not really ready to pull the trigger. Well, what do you we're, think? We're allowed to be timid. Uh, I I would I think it could get in, like you said, some some maybe visual effects that we're not picking up on, or some sound stuff. You know, I don't know, but um, it doesn't feel its costuming at least doesn't feel as anointed as Cinderella's nomination did. Yeah, um, But we should never discount a big lavish Disney movie from getting a nomination in that category. Fair enough. So yeah, I don't think this is going to be the the biggest Oscar hopeful of the year, but but it's going to make so much money. Yeah, I think it's going to make money. I think kids are going to like it. It has enough in there, and you know, I'm always up for Emma Thompson voicing a singing teapot. You know, that's <laughs> that's worth it. <laughs> yeah. I guess that about does it for this week's episode. As always, we would urge you to please go onto iTunes and rate and review us. It really helps us find new listeners. You can find us all on Twitter at Little Gold Men. Joanna, where are you at? Joe wrote this. I'm at Rylaws. Katie's at Katie Rich. Mike is Mike underscore Hogan. We're all writing at VF.com. Joanna has some great stuff from South by Southwest. And, you know, that's kind of the best thing going right now in movie news. This episode was edited and produced by Alana Milner. Thank you, as always, to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And this week's award for Best Plan to Save the Country goes to Joanna Robinson. It would involve some time travel. 